Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Um, it's good to have you all here today for church. And uh, man, it's, uh, it's going to be a good morning. Um, as you can see from our bulletin, we are, we're continuing through our series, The Good Fight. We're talking through uh, the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, today we're going to be in chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and turn over to, um, we'll get there, page 932 in the Pew Bible, okay? I've made it easy for you, all right? But um, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and, um, and ask God to just teach us this morning that um, he would open up our hearts, he'd open up our minds to receive his word and also maybe hear some things that maybe we've never been taught before. Um, I know God's been teaching me some things and, uh, and that's what I wanna share with you today, just what God's heart for men and women uh, in regards to ministry. So let's, let's ask God to just teach us this morning. Thank you, Father, that we're here this morning. Thank you, God, that we can gather around your word. And uh, Lord, your, your word is, is true. It's, it's our guide for faith and life and for doctrine. And so, Lord, as, as we go to it today, would you teach us? Would you fill us with your truth? And Lord, would you correct some of the things that maybe we've gotten wrong? Lord, um, in all of it, God, may, may we just uh, walk together in unity as brothers and sisters, Lord, who have been called to, to minister uh, of your gospel, and um, Lord, been called just to, to follow you. Um, we just uh, love you so much, and thank you for your word today, and for each one here. Bless it, and this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if you have your bulletin and uh, have that handy, I, I want to get started, um, really, really uh, kind of jumpstart our, our talk today um, by just, just coming out to say that the passage that we are discussing today, looking at and exposing and bringing into the light, is, um, is a passage that actually has been highly contested um, by many people. It's, it's actually been used to divide people along denominational lines. Guy, divide people uh, along church leadership lines. Um, it's, it's been used to uh, say some people can serve and some people can't. And, and what I'm talking about is actually the topic of women in ministry. And the reason why we're talking about it today is uh, it's not just because it's important for us to, to really be on the same page and, and really be understanding one another in it, but it's actually... Um, right in line with just our preaching through the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, that, that's why we're talking about it today. But you'll notice my, my title today is, is, is really this, How Scripture Has Changed My Mind on Women in Ministry. Now, you, you'll notice if, if you've been attending Valley Church for a long time, that um, our stance on the role of women in ministry has actually changed over our time here. And that has been in a large part due to our own study of Scripture, our agreement upon Scripture, but um, just, just our, our own development. Um, the way that uh, we go about uh, really uh, encouraging women, men and women to serve in positions of leadership has been influenced by Scripture. And, um, and, and it's changed from the way that maybe you and I were raised. Now, I'll, I'll just... Full disclosure, I was raised in a church and in a, you know, religious, you know, um, theological system where it was believed that men were the primary leaders of the church and that women were, they could serve, but they couldn't serve in roles of leadership that were over a men. Specifically, that they couldn't teach to mixed audiences and um, that uh, if they were to serve anywhere, it would be some, like in a ladies' fellowship, teaching, teaching women's Bible studies, um, teaching Sunday school, or you could always become a missionary. But um, what I thought as I grew up was that, oh, this is what the Bible teaches because of even a passage that we're going to look at today. But as I have actually taken time to actually do more study on my own, and also in conjunction with our elders and, and my wife, Precious, um, what, what we have discovered is that Scripture 
has changed the way that we view the role of women in ministry. It's not a change in culture. It's not, not some kind of liberal movement, okay? It's not some kind of pressure that we're receiving. Um, it's certainly not feminism that we're, we're caving into. Um, what we're talking about is God's heart for men and women mutually serving with one another for the advancement of the gospel. And if there's been anything that has actually just confirmed that God has been really showing us a new, fresh path and, and really his heart, it's just the love that we see for one another, um, that uh, we can serve with one another without trying to dominate each other, okay? And, and that's something that's beautiful in a marriage relationship. It's also something that's beautiful in the church. And um, man, when we can serve in a way where we're submitting to one another, you know, to, and to the Lord, um, that, that we're submitting mutually to Him, man, we are, we are so much farther ahead. And so the way I want to begin is I want to I just talk to you about how Scripture has changed my view on women in ministry. And then we're going to jump into 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to see how in the world do we interpret 1 Timothy chapter 2 in a way that we're like, is this consistent? How do we take it? Do we just take it or do we ignore it? Or how do we, how do we, how do we deal with it? I want to help you in that, okay? So, first of all, um, what has changed my view on women in ministry? Um, the first thing I would say is, number one, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, it's the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably know the Great Commission, these are the famous last words that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And uh, there, there he said in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse, um, verse 19, he said to his disciples who were gathered, and these were men and women who had, who had gathered, and, and, and they didn't know that he was going to be ascending into heaven, but, but this, this is what he said. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, what I want to quickly point out in this commission is, first of all, we don't have any problem to say that Jesus said this and gave us this, this commission to both men and women, do we? If we're called his disciples, this is, this is for all of us. And there's four verbs that are here, okay? I want you to just pick, pick these four, four verbs out. If you want to even scroll back so you can see them on the screen, you can. But the four verbs are these. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And so if we're, we're applying this consistently to, to all of us here today, we're saying that both men and women should go. They should, they should be on mission as disciples. They should go. Okay, they should make disciples, men and women. Men and women should baptize. Men and women should teach. Okay, and and it, when when we see it from that clear perspective, we understand it was Jesus Himself who said to both men and women, "Hey, you guys both have an equal role in this. This is a new time where I'm commissioning you to go out into the world to share my gospel." One of, one of the things that, uh, you know how children have a way of just teaching you some things? Um, we were, we were talking, talking with our kids about this one time, and we, we asked them, what, what, do you, what do you think God's heart is in regards to men and women serving in ministry? And one of our children responded to say, well, I, I believe that God would want both men and women to do that, wouldn't he? And it just, from a child's perspective, that was one of the clearest indications to me that, yes, Jesus did give us a command, and we're both involved in this. We're on mission together. It's not just men. It's not just men or just women. It's both of us together. We're bringing our unique gifts, our unique sexuality, you know, all of our experiences together to be the ones that proclaim the gospel. So, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. This is not just for, for professionals either. This is not just for pastors. This is every disciple, every follower of Jesus. How in the world, how are we going to fulfill the Great Commission if it's just pastors or if it's just men or if it's just those that, you know, view themselves as qualified? No, it's for men and women, okay? So that's the first reason, and um, it's probably the simplest reason. 
Um, but then the second reason that really has impacted me and uh, really, really uh, showed me that in the New Testament time, we are living in a new age, um, is that on the day of Pentecost, something was, was, was uh, there was a prophecy of Joel that was stated. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the church, there was both men and women who were together and who were given, empowered with the gifts of speaking in tongues, and they, they were proclaiming the gospel to a mixed audience. That's what we see happen. And um, Peter actually went so far to explain what was going on in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And so I want to just, just bring you there quickly, because what Peter says and, and what Peter explain, explains is this. He says, what you are seeing here is actually the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel stated many years ago. And he said this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Um, I I don't know if it's on the PowerPoint, but I'm going to keep on reading. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And so what what Peter does is he, he goes to explain, guys, here is what you are seeing. And he says something very specifically. He says, he quote, quoting the prophet Joel says that in the last days it shall be. What was Peter saying? It's the last days. And the day of Pentecost actually inaugurated us into this place where we are, and you can say it, and this is a fact, we are living in the last days, okay? And so what Joel had said was in those last days, both men and women, young men, young women, old men, old women, they're going to prophesy they're going to they're gonna bring the word of God and they're going to preach powerfully and witness to me. And that's what they were seeing there on the day of Pentecost. And that's something that started, okay? Um, and so, so that, that's something that, uh, that, that the prophet Joel was prophesying that was fulfilled on that day. And it started on that day. But then third, and this is, this is powerful, is, is that um, we see that uh, the very first sermon ever preached after the resurrection was actually given by a woman. Did you know that? Yeah. John chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. Um, we see, uh, and I'll, I'll just read it for you. This is, this is right on the day of the resurrection that uh, Mary had gone, gone to the tomb you know, they, they, they'd seen that the tomb was empty. She was crying. You know, she was all alone. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, Jesus approached her. And, and here's what Jesus said to her. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father to my God and to your God. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said thing, these things to her. Isn't that powerful? Did you ever notice that? The first witness, the first message ever preached of the resurrection of Jesus was actually commissioned by and given, commissioned by Jesus to a woman who then brought it to the apostles. Now, that's a powerful, powerful thing to understand. So, here's the thing. I know that we all come from different backgrounds, you know, when it comes to the church in regards to what, what role can women play in ministry? Can I just tell you, just with all humility, if you have a problem with women preaching the gospel, you have a problem with Jesus. You do, okay? And so, this is, this is just something that in Valley Church, we want to continue to understand and, and continue to, to really break down and study the Scripture because sometimes people will take the Scripture, just like they'll take a brick out of a building, you know, without considering the whole building, the whole structure of everything, and they'll take these bricks, like individual verses, and they'll throw it at each other, okay? And they'll hurt each other with it when they don't consider the context 
that they've been taking these bricks from, these scriptures from. And that's what we're going to do when we get to this fourth reason, is that the fourth reason that, that I believe that God has, um, you know, God supports women serving in roles of leadership and in ministry is actually when we understand 1 Timothy chapter 2 in its context, okay? And so if, you, if you're ready to move over to page number 932, that's where we're going. Um, I encourage you, keep your Bible open though, um, because rather than seeing this as individual verses separated from the rest of the context, what we're going to do is I want to help us see what Paul says to Timothy in its context so that we see it not as a prohibition against women, women teaching or speaking in church, but we actually see the invitation that, that Paul is giving to women to learn and then to teach correct doctrine and submit themselves to the Word of God and be examples to the church in that way. And can I just say to you um, women that are listening today, that is who you are in as much as you follow Jesus. And so I hope that this message is an encouragement to you as women um, in an area where you may feel a lot of confusion. Maybe there's a lot of, of pain that you've, you've experienced. Maybe, maybe you felt cut down or not valued. What I want to do is I want to try and bring that value back to you, give you a correct understanding of what the Bible teaches, and then hopefully then as Valley Church, we can continue to move together in that. So um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Turn over there if you can, and um, and let's uh, let's just let's just remember this as we read scripture. All scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Okay, uh, the the scripture is is our rule for faith and life and doctrine. And so, when we read something that may look like, oh, that's, that's confusing, or that doesn't look consistent, can we just take it as an invitation that we need to study it deeper to understand it? Because God's Word is consistent. Let's just, and, and, and He wants us to understand it. Um, scripture is consistent. But um, what we need to understand is that Scripture often, and, and we know from the book of 1 Timothy, this was written to a specific audience, wasn't it? Most of Scripture is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's Jewish writing written to a Jewish audience. And so, in that audience, there's obviously a lot of culture, there's a lot of context that we don't often actually understand. And so, let's just, let's just bring things back all the way to week one, and let's just remind ourselves, what is 1 Timothy? What is 1 Timothy? It's a letter. It's a letter from Paul to his young protege, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, who, uh, who Paul met Timothy on a missions trip and, uh, and started discipling him, raising him up, took him on his missionary journeys. And then when he heard about the city of Ephesus, he said, Timothy, I want you to go there. I want you to stay there in Ephesus to be able to refute some of the false doctrine that's being taught. So we, we remember from last week, we, we remember that uh, he charged Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3. He said, he said um, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than a stewardship that is by faith. So his charge to Timothy, I want you to go and I want you to protect the church. I want you to guard it from false teaching. That, 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 if anything, if you want to just get anything in your mind, that's what Paul is talking about through most of this letter. He's talking about guarding the church from false teaching, giving instructions then to Timothy. How are you going to do that? Here's some tools I want to give you. Here's how you refute the things that are being taught that were wrong, okay? So, that's, that's some of the context, but also culture is a context as well. What was going on in their culture? You remember? is that uh, this was a very polytheistic culture where they worshiped many gods. And uh, unlike many of their neighbors, actually, their main god was a female goddess that was the ruler over all, okay? Even over, over the god of the Jews, they thought of the god of the Jews as this like little god that created the world and thought that he was all, <coughs> all sovereign. 
But uh, no, they believed that there was a mother goddess that was over all. This is what they believed. And they called her Athena or Diana of Ephesus. And you remember a couple weeks ago, I showed on the PowerPoint this picture of their temple. And uh, temple worship was a big thing. Many people were employed in this religion. They acted as mediators in it. And so obviously, with this, this prevalence of this false religion, this polytheistic religion, there's many people actually hearing about Christ for the first time, and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But what are they bringing with them? Their old ways. Their old thoughts. They're all, you know, they're all ideas about how, how to make God happy, how to please God, how to go about, go about things. And so at the same time, we know that there was also this, uh, this false, false religion called Gnosticism. And that was, if, uh, if anything can help you understand it, basically you take the book of Genesis and you turn it upside down, okay? That's the basic way you understand it. Everything in Genesis, you flip it upside down. So God, who created the heavens and the earth, um, yeah, he was, he was a real person, but they, they believed that uh, he, was under, he was under the mother goddess. And that when he created the heavens and the earth and created Adam and Eve, that he did it. And, all, and they believed all, everything that God created was, was evil, that all matter was evil, okay? And so when, when he created Adam and Eve, he actually deceived them to say, Oh, there's, there's uh, these trees in the Garden of Eden, you know, and the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and don't eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, or you'll have all this understanding. You'll know the, know the good and evil. And um, what they believed is that when Satan came into the world, Satan actually was doing Adam and Eve a service. Okay, see how backwards this is? By bringing them true enlightenment. And so when Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she brought enlightenment to mankind. And, uh, and it goes on from there, and I'll teach you a little bit about that as we move on, but b- these are the basic things that Paul is saying, man, this stuff is going throughout the church. You know, the, they, they are turning upside down the Hebrew scriptures, preaching this false doctrine, and this should not be. They're confusing people. And as you see, they, they were devoting themselves to endless genealogies and myths, and man, they were just distractions within the church. And so that is the context in which we approach 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, so let's read it. Um, we started last week, and Precious gave us a really good message on verses 1 through 7. But I want to just read, read the whole chapter right now, understanding that context. And what we're going to see Paul do is he's going to bring a series of arguments refuting the false teaching that was going on. And we'll go, we'll go verse by verse after we read it. So chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he says, First of all, then, this is of first importance, I urge you, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. Teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Verse 8, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 
Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. We got a lot to talk about. Um, and I'm sure as we read this passage, you can think, oh boy, <laughs> what do we do, Paul? What do we do about what you just said? Do we forget about it? Or do we understand it within this context and try to understand why did he say these things? So let's do that. Start at verse 5. I think there's a kind of a foundation. He's, he's talking, teaching them how they should devote themselves to prayer, that unlike Gnosticism, that they should submit themselves to, to leaders. Gnosticism was a, a, a religion of rebellion. He said, as Christians, we're, we're to honor God, and we're to, we're to honor, honor those that are in positions of leadership and pray for them, pray for their salvation. But then he, he goes on and gives this first argument in verse 5 to say this, that number one, there is one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. So no, no matter who, who is the king, no matter what kind, of, what kind of religion you grew up with, there is one God and one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Now, Christians today, if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with this word mediator, that Jesus Christ, he, he mediates between us and God by his death on the cross. He was sacrificed once for all, mediating our relationship between us and the Father, purchasing for us the, the debt of our sin, dying on the cross for us, saving us, okay, so that he can now sit at the right hand of God the Father and intercede on behalf of us to God. That's a beautiful truth. And what Paul is saying is, man, there's something that's in the church right now that's teaching people, there's people that are teaching that, that uh, others can be mediators. Okay? And, and so that, that's why he says there is one God. There's one God, not many gods. And there is one mediator. Who is that? Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom. He took the payment for us all. Now, culturally, you know that there were people coming into the church that had been previously involved in either Gnosticism or in this worship of, of Athena, their god. And so if, if these people were, were uh, employed in the temple, some of these women specifically, they, they upheld women as being sources of true knowledge and true mediation between God, the, the gods, and, and mankind. And so you, you can understand that uh, if there were some women, especially, that were coming into the church, getting saved for the first time, that they might still have that, that mindset of, oh, we, see, we can still mediate between you and God. What Paul is saying is, no, there's one mediator. It's Jesus Christ. He already did it, and he's doing it for us. Don't twist, don't twist the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not you. It's not me. It's not men. It's not women. It's, it's, it's that we all, we all, have been saved through the work of Christ. He's, there's one mediator, Jesus Christ. And so what he's correcting is, is uh, man, you women especially, you think that maybe you're the only ones that can mediate between us and God. But that is a false teaching. Okay, and so that's the first thing that he's refuting right there. Okay, so we're starting to understand it. Second thing that, that he does is, as we move on to verse 8, is he says he's, he's an apostle, he's a preacher, he's been appointed by God to preach to the Gentiles. And then we get to verses 8 through 10, and, and he says some interesting things, first of all, to men and then to women. He says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay, so let's just stop there. There may be some cultural things that we don't understand about this, but I'm sure that just like men today, um, maybe we're prone to just argue about things, okay? We want to push our own way. You know, we want to have authority, okay? And, and that's what he's telling men. He's saying, men, you got this tendency to get angry and to fight with each other. But when you come together as followers of Jesus, you shouldn't be known for your anger or your quarreling. You should be known just for your submission to Christ. So when you come together, just pray, Okay? I'm not going to go any further in that. There's probably more there, but uh, verse 9 explains things further, though. He says, likewise, likewise. Now, that word is important because when he says likewise, what I believe that Paul is saying is the same things I said to the men also apply to the women. 
No anger, no quarreling, okay? Come together, mutual, let's come together. Let's, let's all pray together. When the church gathers, let's all pray. But also that women, in verse 9, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Okay, so he's talking about the way that they dress. With modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire, well, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? So likewise, women, you're, you're invited to come and gather and pray, but also you need to specifically watch the impression that you are giving by the way that you dress. Culturally, I think there was probably something going on where, where their form of worship to Diana of the Ephesians was highly sexualized. And so I'm sure that coming, coming into the church, maybe they wanted to do those same kind of things. And so, so there's specific references to, to the things that they wore and to the, their, their elaborate hairstyles, things that they just went out of their way to focus on that uh, not only were, could have been a distraction, but also worse, could have been seductive. Okay? And so, so let's just understand Paul's teaching we don't want these things to distract or worse, to lead people down the wrong path, okay? Now, some of us, you guys, you guys probably grew up in, in what, the purity culture, okay? Where women, sometimes, I'll, I'll just say this, sometimes you were wrongfully pointed out as being ones who, oh, you guys, you guys have to watch what you dress, but nothing's ever said to the men, okay? And in harmful ways, I think, the church devalued women, teaching that, oh, you're, you're the ones that are the temptresses, okay? And, and men don't do anything, okay? You've got to guard the men. Watch out for the men, okay? But in that effort, some, some of you women, you, you got this mindset, and maybe us men as well, got the mindset that, um, that our bodies are evil, men and women, that, that our sexuality is evil. And can I tell you, that's not what Paul is teaching here. And that's not what the church should teach either. Because who made your body? God did. Who made your sexuality? God did. He loves that. He created it for good, okay? And so don't get this wrong idea that God is anti your sexuality, anti-sex. That's not what he is. He's saying, man, there's distractions though that when they come to the church, that man, when, it, when it's gonna be seductive, when it's gonna distract from the reason why we're here, that we guard that. And so direct application to our church is also this, that we watch, you know, obviously watch the way that we dress, that the way that we dress isn't distracting to our worship of, of God, especially that we're guarding one another in our marriages and staying true to the one that, that we devoted our lives to under, under God. He's upholding that as a value, okay? So um, number two, in summary, guard the gatherings, guard the gatherings, um, from disruptions with anger, quarreling, and also seductive impressions. That's, that's number two that, that I think that he's saying in verses eight, eight through 10. Um, third, let's move on to verse 11. Let's move on to verse 11. Um, basically, what verse 11 talks about is inviting the women to learn the scripture, learn the word of God, and to submit to it. Let's, let's read it just to remind ourselves of what it says. And then we'll come back, come back and, and apply it. Verse 11 says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Well, this jumps off of this teaching to women. Don't adorn yourself in things that are seductive, but adorn yourself in good works. Those things that are, that are proper for godly women. And things that are proper for godly women, he wants them to devote themselves to studying the scripture, to the word of God. Now, this is interesting because in this context, this would have been completely countercultural to invite a woman into basically rabbinical Jewish, uh, a rabbinical Jewish learning style, okay? Because in that time, the boys were invited to do that. The boys were invited to study the Torah, to, to study God's word together. But now what, what's Paul doing? He's inviting women as well. How in the world are they supposed to teach what is right and true if they don't have the opportunity to learn it as well? They're both invited. That should be a great joy for you to hear. 
that, that you are included. You are invited. Men and women are invited to learn the word of God. So read it again. Let a woman learn. But how should they learn? Quietly. Now, if you've ever been in a classroom where it's just insanity, you'll know that it's hard to learn, right? Yeah, you can't learn in a classroom where it's just chaos everywhere. And so what I think he's describing is, is a classroom environment where there's a teacher who's teaching the Word of God and the student is listening, okay? But also it goes on to further explain, quietly with all submissiveness. What people will take this word to mean is, oh, that a, a woman should always submit to men. That women should always submit to all men. That's not what the Bible is teaching. I believe the Bible's teaching is that, that a woman should learn quietly and submit to the Word of God. Submit themselves to it, just as the men do as well. That we mutually are coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And so we're submitting to God's Word. And so um, this is a beautiful invitation. And I, I want to use it in, here at Valley Church to, to invite you if there are opportunities for you to study the Word of God, Bible studies, classes, um, you know, even, even this morning, they're doing a systematic theology class. Men and women are involved in that. It's a beautiful thing. I love to see that. These things are not just for men. And I, I think we've tried to create that culture here at Valley Church. As we move on, though, um, we see a particularly difficult verse. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Um, it's a verse, um, verse 12. We'll start with what it says, and then, then we'll try and interpret it. It says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, as we read that, it looks like it's a really clear verse. Like, okay, and I'll, I'll tell you how, how this was taught to me. Women, you're not allowed to teach, shouldn't be, shouldn't be preaching to mixed audiences, um, and you're not allowed to hold positions of leadership over a man. And then we'll see down, <laughs> down later, we'll see some of the reasoning that our supposedly Paul is giving why women shouldn't teach specifically. Um, first of all, that uh, women, you were the ones that were deceived um, when it came to eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this, I'm serious, this is what was taught. So women, you're e more easily deceived. Okay. And so you should have the men who aren't as easily deceived, you know, teach the scripture. Okay. Is that even true? Hold on a second. Okay, I know plenty of women who are way sharper, way smarter than, than most men, okay? And, and so let's just be clear about this. This is not what the scripture is teaching. And, and we're going to understand it from the context right now, okay? So let's read it again. I do not permit a woman to teach. Let's follow the line of reasoning here. What's Paul exposing? He's exposing false teaching. And so if women were being looked to as the mediators between God and man, if women were being thought of as, as being superior to others, and I'll tell you one of the teachings of Gnosticism was that uh, actually Eve herself, Gnosticism, remember it's an upside down in the Bible, taught that Eve came first and then, then, then put Adam, Adam to sleep and implanted into his mind that he was created first. Okay, and so, so that's how twisted it was, okay? But basically, what, what, she, what he's saying is this, and, and I have it, have, it, have it here, and I'll put it on the screen. Basically, don't allow women to teach falsely that they are the originator of man, okay? You can put, up, put it up on the screen. It's point number four there, Logan. Don't allow women to teach falsely that they are the originator of man. Okay, so in other words, that Eve came before Adam, Okay? Rather, she is to remain, the word is silent, but better interpretations are in conformity. Okay? Um, and so, so understand that again. He's combating this upside downing of Scripture. And then we'll see in the next verse, he goes, out to, go, goes on to flesh it out. Don't allow a woman to teach falsely that they are the originator of, of man. Rather, she is to remain in conformity to 
the scripture. The word, um, uh, the word here for exercise authority is the word authentain. And you can do your own um, study of that in scripture, but basically it just means, it means to be an originator, to be an authority over. And that's what Paul was teaching right here. He's teaching, man, don't, don't use this false doctrine to claim authority over other men. It's, it's not right. And then in verse, verse 13, he goes on to explain it. And this is how it makes sense. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. So let's get it right. Let's trust the Genesis account. Keep on going. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so he's just saying, church, trust the scripture. Teach the scripture. Don't allow people to come into the church that have had their minds twisted with some kind of false doctrine, and don't just let them teach. If that's what the women are going to teach, they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to do that in the church. It's not that all women at all times are going to teach that. We certainly aren't going to teach that today. But uh, if there is false doctrine that's being taught, don't allow them on the stage. Don't allow them that kind of position. It's harmful to the design that God laid out, and it contradicts the scripture. For Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now let's talk about verse 14 a second, because as I said, there's an argument, a line of thinking, and this is, man, if, if I was a woman, I'd be really upset about this, that you as a woman are more easily deceived, and that's why you shouldn't teach. Can I just ask a question? What's worse, being a little bit, a bit gullible, um, like Eve was, or by being like Adam, who willfully ate from that tree and became a transgressor. Think about it. Who was willful in his sin? It was Adam. Adam was not deceived. Who, <laughs> who I, I would rather be Eve in this situation, honestly, because it was Adam who knew that it was wrong and did it anyway. And so, so this, is, this is not to cut Eve down. It's just to correct the false teaching that was being passed around in the church at that time. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Okay? And so, let's move on to verse 15. And here we find a really confusing one, which uh, actually becomes really beautiful. Read it. Read it. It says, yet she, she, yet she will be saved through childbearing. They continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Keep it up there for a second. Isn't that verse confusing? She shall be saved. It's almost a tongue twister. She, she, she shall be saved through childbearing. So in other words, if we take this at face value, um, you have to have children in order to be saved. Is that what it's teaching? <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? But in essence, what this is, is um, if that's the way that we would take it, it would, it would actually go against um, the teaching of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your own works. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. And so obviously, as, as we come back to this, let's just understand it again. If there's something that's confusing or inconsistent that we're reading in the Word of God, it's an invitation for us to actually study it deeper. And so again, culture and context inform us on this. And as we study the, the religion of Gnosticism, as we know that they believe that all matter was evil, as much as they... they uplifted women in their sexuality and, and for bringing true knowledge, what they also told women is that if you conceive and you have a child, you are bringing evil into this world and you cannot be saved. Think about that, just from the perspective of a woman. If you have a child, you cannot be saved. This is what they were taught. And so what Paul is saying is, man, if you've come from that harmful background, 
If you're taught that, man, you can't be saved if you've born a child, can I just tell you, bearing children will not save you, but you will be saved even through bearing children. And what, what God is, what Paul is teaching, teaching these women and affirming them in is actually their uniqueness in their sexuality. And I, I want to affirm that for all you women here, is that God created you uniquely a female. Okay, he, he did that on purpose because it takes all kinds of people. And what do you have that's unique from men? It's that you can bear children. And that's a beautiful thing. You are affirmed in your sexuality. And, and what Paul is in, in, encouraging you in is to embrace your sexuality, your femininity. It is not cursed. You are not cursed by being born a female. What Gnosticism taught is, man, if you're born a female, you don't, you don't practice those female things. Actually also taught to males. If you were born a male, you need to get rid of your maleness in order to get closer to God. Basically, what, what they were teaching both sexes is get rid of those things that separate you and become like one. And isn't that like our culture today that teaches transgenderism, non-binary things? Man, teach, teaches men to become like women and women to become like men. That's truly what Gnosticism taught. And we're living in very similar days to that, I was, I was realizing when studying this. Paul is saying, don't go down that road. He affirms you in your sexuality, men and women, okay? And then he ends, and we'll end with this. He ends by encouraging them. He encourages them to continue in faith and in love, in holiness, and in self-control. What are these qualities? It's the fruit of the Spirit. If I can boil it down into anything, it's the fruit of the Spirit. That if God's Spirit is in you, these qualities will be true of you. Your deep faith, your love for God and for others, holiness, a desire to, to, to walk in line with who God calls you, and also self-control. And so as we, as we close, can I just encourage you, men and women again, um, we've been called together into God's church. And um, whatever messages that you've received about your sexuality, maybe, maybe if you're wishing that you were born the opposite sex than you were, can I just affirm you to say God created you as you are for a reason and that you are not cursed because of your sexuality. God invites you, invites us into mutually serving and using our gifts to bring the gospel to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and, and to teach. And so I know that there's probably a lot of more unanswered questions that go along with this topic, um, but all that to say, this is, this is just kind of a basis for how we here at Valley Church want to come alongside you and um, just encourage all of us together as disciples of Jesus to follow Jesus together, okay? Next week, I want to also um, give you a little forewarning. Mr. Wayne, um, I'm setting him up, uh, is going to be talking about, uh, in chapter 3, the positions of elders and deacons, okay? And so um, I don't think that Wayne is planning to talk about, can the role of elder be for a man or for a woman? Is, is it just specific to men? Um, I'll just be honest with us as a church, um, historically, for right now, what we've, what we've uh, decided is that the role of elder is, as we can see from Scripture, a role that's specific to men. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's the only interpretation out there, okay? This is something that we're all still learning on, um, but uh, when, when Mr. Wayne uh, preaches on this, what we're going to talk about is what are the qualifications What's the heart? What, what are, what's, what's the um, attitudes and, and inner development that has happened in those that are serving in these two roles? And so um, we're going to go there. I don't, I don't imagine you're going to talk about that, though, next week. Are right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. But, um, but it'll be interesting. All in all, um, man, we're, we are uh, basically brothers and sisters together, called to serve with one another, and um, been invited into his church. So let's pray. Let's thank God. Can I thank God for each one of you right now? 
and um, we'll close with a song as we end. Father, thank you for your gospel that invites both male and female into service in your kingdom. God, that you call us to just walk beside you and with you, to join into the things that you have already started. And so we thank you for the work that you've started in our lives. And God, I pray that you'd bring encouragement and affirmation to both our men and our women here in this church. That God, we wouldn't, we wouldn't follow um, the example of those in Ephesus who were trying to dominate one another and bring confusion and, and quarreling about these subjects. But God, that there was a mutual understanding. There was study of the scripture. There was prayer and a devotion to your word. Help us to be about that, God. Thank you, God, that you, you teach us from your word what is true and right and pure. And thank you, God, for calling both men and women into service in your church. God, bless us as we go from this place. God, help us to walk as agents of your gospel to go and to, and to, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. And we thank you, God, for that invitation right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.